Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. And what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks family. This is uh, Brian Emhauser uh, here with you for Real Hawk Talk. Whoa, hold on. I want to make sure this actually went live. We've got a new live streaming going on with uh, with YouTube and uh, trying to make sure we're, we're working. I think we are. I think we are. Um, all right. So uh, let's try that again. Uh, welcome, everybody. This is Brian Nemhauser and uh, at Hawk Blogger on Twitter. And we're here for what is the 77th episode of Real Hawk Talk. We've got the full crew tonight. Uh, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter is back in Toronto after a uh, fun, uh, you know, productive but uh, unfortunate trip to the Northwest to watch the Seahawks lose to the Ravens and to get some Matador nachos. Have you been able to get either one of those things out of your, your head since you came out here, Jeff? Um, the game much more than the nachos. I still have not had as much steak and on a pile of nachos since Evan turned out to be right. I haven't tested mm-hmm. that out. Whoa, did we cover this? Because I think, I think we, we did. did. I don't think we did. Actually, Nathan, yeah, Nathan had some good counterpoints. Actually, so I don't. Uh, yeah, we can get into this now. So, Evan, why don't you restate your uh, theory here? My theory, which has been proven true by a large data sample size is that if you ask for the toppings outside of beans, cheese, steak, bean, cheese, and steak, outside of those three toppings, you ask for all the other toppings on the side, doesn't matter if you're going to eat them or not, you are mentally manipulating the chef into adding more chips and more steak and more cheese because they, what happens is they build this plate of nachos and then there's no toppings on it or very few toppings on it. And they're like, oh, this looks pathetic. I can't push this out of the kitchen. The customer's gonna be upset. And what ends up happening is they throw more cheese, more chips, and more steak on it. 
So you end up getting a better bang for your buck. Okay, that is so my that is my hypothesis. Hold on, is that everywhere or just a matador? Oh, this is exclusively to matador. Okay. So I think that there's three like <clears throat> things to look for: more chips, more cheese, more steak. So uh, Jeff was in town, uh, and we all got together except for Evan because he was still in Phoenix uh, to test this out at Matador. Uh, we ordered just regular nachos and then Evan style nachos. And when they came, the Evan style nachos clearly had more steak, even though mm. it was kind of hard to tell because the regular nachos had the guac and the pico and everything else on top. So you couldn't really see all of the steak. It felt very clear that the Evan style nachos had more steak, but or cheese. I don't think we saw any evidence of that, and neither with chips. Cheese, chips, the same, <clears throat> clearly more steak. I like what you did there. I, what did you, I do? You got him to like go into his Evan overconfidence to where he no, was no, taking I feel like a victory he's lap, and he, he went, <laughs> instead of just actually sticking to what actually is different, he went over his skis as he often does. I think he's talking about chips and cheese and all this other stuff, of which there absolutely was not more of that. Well, and I think, but I think Evan has consistently said chips and cheese. So he has. That. I think. I think he. I think he has. So was also, I right? Well, so on steak, yes. So here's the other thing: the toppings came on the side, and like if you go to a, a Mexican restaurant and you get like the salsa and the little white dish, came in like that. So that was all fine. So everyone was still hungry, ordered another round of nachos, another another nacho. And of course, since we had gotten more steak, we decided to do the Evan style again, because we felt at that point confident that Evan was actually right, at least in terms of steak, which is the best part of this. So the second Evan style nachos come, and they do not have more chips, and they do not have more cheese, and they do not have more steak. Also, the toppings, instead of coming in the bigger, you know, like uh, whatever size white dish that you get normally salsa and whatever in, came in like the little metal tins that you get like salad dressing on the side. And so not only did the second set of Evan nachos not have more of the stuff that he had theorized they would have, we also kind of got screwed on the sauce or the sides, except for- You Brian, know why that happened? To just ask for more, so. You know why that happened? The chef found out what you were doing. He <laughs> mentally, he mentally realized the trick you were pulling on him. Mental jujitsu does back. I thought you said you had done this uh, time and again, and there was no very. But I've never ordered more than one full plate of nachos. Yeah, don't lie. If, if don't you lie. order repeat bowls of, or you know, plates of nachos, of course the mentally manipulating chef is going to figure out what's going on. That's this nice. is a this is a one time trick per visit. Uh, I think the conclusion okay. here is that Matador has some quality control issues on their food, and you may be able to use it to your advantage to get some extra steak sometimes. It is it is worth, I, I would definitely say it is worth that folks try it once, you know, when they go to Matador next. Order all toppings on the side. The second time we ordered, it came with the guac on top, even though we said all toppings on the side. So I think Nathan's point is valid that at the very least there's no consistency to how they prepare their nachos so you know it's worth a shot definitely got more steak on the, the nachos that jeff ordered i was very shocked that that happened so i, I do want to give you credit evan you were right on probably I'm off, as i often am <laughs> as you almost never are but <laughs> but that that uh on a very uh, the most important topping being the steak 
you got extra. I cannot believe that they managed to give us extra steak. It's the most expensive, best part of that plate. And uh, you're right. You're right. So um, about at least part of it. Um, those two, if you don't know who they are, uh, that was at Evan Hill SEA on Twitter and at uh, Nathan E11, Nathan Ernst, uh, telling you, filling you in on all the nacho goodness. I know from the chat that everybody loves it when we spend half of our show talking about nachos. Like there's no doubt people really, really like nacho talk. Um, I gotta say, it's not going to change. Uh, this is, this is going to be a key part of conversations going forward. So, uh, we got a ton to go over tonight, guys. Uh, this is, it's kind of a fascinating couple of weeks. We missed last week. Uh, was sorry to do that. Um, didn't really get to have a Ravens uh, fallout conversation. Uh, didn't get to preview the, the Falcons game. And then we had this crazy Falcons game where we went out 24 nothing the first half. Looked as good as we've looked and, you know, gave up 20 points in the second half and, and you know, had a ball game against a bad team. Since then, we've got, uh, you know, Tedrick Thompson going on IR today. Got to talk about that. Marquise Blair emerging in the backfield. And we're going to have what looks to be the first new uh, pairing at the safety position without Tedrick Thompson. Uh, we've got Justin Britt put on IR. And we've got um, uh, Ed Dixon coming back. We've got little Joey Hunt at center. There is a lot, a lot to cover. So what I want to start with is, you know, what I'm seeing across Seahawks fans, I'm not sure if you guys are seeing this as well, is this this crazy divide that especially happened after the Falcons game, which was <laughs> it's the t- you got the two halves where people are like, okay, this team's really good, and then the, this team's really bad, and you've got fans that are kind of split of, look, this team is six and two, they are as good as any Seahawks team has been, you know, through eight games pretty much, other than maybe I think one. Um, they're a contender. They're for real. And people are, are being too critical of all the things that, that are holding the back. You've got another crew that sees the Seahawks as complete posers, that this is a, a total mirage. The six and two is product of a lot of other things. And they just aren't that excited about this team. And I think in the meantime, you've got a 49ers team that's looming that everyone knows is coming the game after this week. And people are wondering, are the Seahawks, do they really have a chance in this division? It's a weird question to ask for a team that's six and two. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to play a little game here. Um, and we're going to start by taking both sides of that debate. We're going to start with one side and we're going to switch to the other. And we're going to see how far we can go in convincing ourselves of which is the truer argument here about the Seahawks. So Let's start by taking the positive. Um, If you guys were in charge of making the case for the Seahawks being a contender, let's not talk about just for the division, but a contender for the Super Bowl, that this is a legitimate Super Bowl contending team this year, where would you start? What are the signs? What are the evidence that you'd point to to say, this team can be a contender for for the trophy? And why don't we start with you, Jeff? I feel like all three of us or all four of us will probably have the same answer here, but I think the obvious one here, and it's probably the number one reason the Seahawks are six and two is Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson 
is playing at the highest level he has in his career. I think higher than the 2015 that stretch he had in that eight game stretch there. Um, I think Russell's been maybe the most valuable player in the whole league based on what's around him. I think there's a pretty good case because you saw when he didn't play well in that Baltimore game, how little there was around him. And I think Russell's this first half has been just outstanding. He's had a quarterback rating, I believe above a hundred in every game. I think there's a better case for him than Rogers than for Mahomes and for Watson. And I think really the Seahawks offense is kind of a three headed monster right now. It's, Wilson's been playing the best football of his career. Tyler Lockett's had a phenomenal season. Their chemistry is through the roof. Lockett's, a lot of people wondered how he'd do without Doug around. He's stepped up his game even further. He's having the best season of his career. And I know their running game isn't the most efficient thing at all. It's probably not efficient as a whole, mostly due to the run blocking. But Chris Carson has really turned his season around. And he's been a really big factor in terms of like the advanced metrics, in terms of breaking tackles, in terms of yards before or yards after contact. So really that three headed monster is really the only reason. And it's mostly the quarterback. I know we like to don't like to pin it on one player, but really the reason they're six and two and the reason for optimism is simply put it's Russell. Evan or, or Nathan, let's start with you, Evan, you know, Russell's the obvious, you know, he, I think we all see that and he's, he's clearly having an MVP caliber season what are the things about this team that you believe it doesn't have to be that they're contenders right now, but you believe that there's signs that this team could grow into that over the course of the season. What are the, what are some other reasons that you see to potentially be optimistic about where this team can grow? Yeah, I actually immediately jumped to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, two specific areas. Tedrick Thompson is somebody that we've been complaining about for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks saying, why the heck is he starting? We think they're, you know, we think Delano Hill is better. We think Marquise Blair is better right now. Why is Tedrick getting so many reps? It felt like every single week he was making a meet. It felt like every week he was giving up one to two major plays, making major miscalculations in how he was timing the ball for interceptions, you know, pass breakups, that sort of things. We all have those visuals stuck in our mind. Tedrick, for any of the listeners who do not know, was put on an IR today, torn labrum shoulder thingy. I'm not a doctor, but uh, basically he's going to IR and he is out for the season. So he's getting surgery this week. Um, the reason, uh, let's be clear, I'm not celebrating that injury, but the, the consequences of that injury are that Marquise Blair is absolutely the starter moving forward. Bradley McDougald is back. He has been a, you know, a key cog of that defense, especially was last year that has been Injured throughout this year, off and on. Uh, Pete just said today that he's back, fully ready to go from those back spasms. So I think looking at the safeties, you know, Marquise Blair is somebody that has really impressed us the past couple of games, is young, is a hitter, really could be the potential, you know, long-term solution at free safety. You know, pair him with Bradley McDougal coming back, Shaquille Griffin coming back, or Shaquille Griffin playing out of his mind. That's a pretty good secondary. Trey Flowers is coming back from his next stinger. Um, the reason, I, I guess the positive argument that I would make is that the only missing cog here, we can criticize the linebackers a little bit, but like the real missing cog in the defense is the pass rush. And I truly believe, you know, they haven't shown a ton of signs. of They haven't shown any signs of being good yet. But if they can get even, even just some pressure if they can start getting one to two, maybe three sacks every single game, I really, really feel like this this defense will just sort of 
um, everything will fall in line. I really believe that, you know, a strong pass rush makes life easier for the linebackers and makes life easier for um, the defensive backs, obviously. So my case really is twofold. Tedrick Thompson is on, on IR. Marquise Blair, I think, is going to seize the opportunity if he hasn't already. And I would hope, I would pray to God that the pass rush finds some level of traction with Jaron Reed, you know, entering his uh, uh, third game back. So um, my hope would be that the pass rush starts to show some signs of life. You know, uh, just a quick side, and then we'll we'll head over to you, Nathan. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys heard Pete's press conference when he was asked about the Tedrick to IR injury, like his story his story changed like four different times. <laughs> like he he started out and he was like, yeah, he's been he's been toughing it out through you know this this labrum thing for a while, and you know we just he couldn't do it anymore. And then someone asked about, you know, well, was he on the, why wasn't he on the injury report? And he's like, oh, no, this happened last year. And then it just flared up again this week or something like that. And <laughs> I mean, we'll see if he actually has surgery. I, I'm, I'm honestly like going to be surprised if he has surgery. Uh, it, it seems like the Seahawks kept him around until the trade deadline planted that like totally hopeful seed with the press that, uh, that Tedrick Thompson, he's got interceptions in back-to-back weeks. You might want to get him. And they got no takers. Um, it would have been the most masterful stroke if, if John Schneider could have gotten someone for Tedrick Thompson. And then they're like, okay, we got no takers. Dude, you're off. Like, go go on IR. We're gonna we're gonna play the big boys now. Um, so I don't know. Um, that that's certainly interesting. And I think that's a great point, Evan. I I think the Seahawks had the worst starting safety tandem in the NFL when it was injured Bradley McDougald and Tedrick Thompson. Without a doubt. And I think anything is, is a step up from that. So, it, you know, we'll have to see how it goes from there. Nathan, like, uh, feel free to expand on the, the quarterback or the other pieces. I mean, looking at teams that have won in the past, that have been contenders in the past, what are things about this team that you think are like some of those teams in the past that, that can win or, where do you go and make the case that the, you've said before, this is a very good team. Like what, what, where would you make the case for them? Yeah. I mean, I think that they are, uh, well, for me, I guess, I think Jeff and Evan hit it on the head, right? You have a top five quarterback and you can see where this defense is going to improve. Um, it needs to improve, but like, it's, it's not going to be shocking if at the end of the year, it's like, Oh, Marquis player is good. And Quandary Diggs is, you know, at least capable and maybe the pass rush kind of comes alive and, the, and that kind of turns things around. So I think there's a lot of ways to look at it, to, to have optimism there. The other thing is, <clears throat> man, it's single elimination. Just get in the playoffs and anything can happen. And they're six and two right now. And the, the schedule gets a lot tougher, but they are, you know, um, they are ahead of schedule, I think, uh, in a lot of ways. And so uh, this is a team that seems very likely at this point to make the playoffs. And once you get in, you know, it's not crazy to say that Russell Wilson's going to catch fire for four games or three games or whatever, however many games they need. And, and they could end up, you know, knocking on the door of the Super Bowl in the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl. Like a lot of this just comes down to luck and injuries and so much other stuff. And so, you know, you have a good quarterback, you can see ways for the defense to improve. You've got the inside track for the playoffs and then roll the dice and see what happens. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I mean, I'm curious what you guys think here. Like one, 
you look at the the, the the two games that they lost and New Orleans is is one of New Orleans, no one would argue that the Saints are a contender. I don't think anyone would argue that. Um, what are they like six and one, seven and one at this point? Um, and they were winning without Teddy Bridgewater, have a very good defense. I still believe that the the Seahawks were potentially a couple of of plays away from either winning that game or being right in it, um, you know, all the way to the end. And, you know, you got Al Woods making a really bad, you know, odd um, rule decision on um, uh, a field goal that turns into a touch instead of missed field goals, touch on you got the fumble from Chris. So, I mean, there, there are some things there. And then you've got the, the game against the Ravens, which we didn't talk about on this show because we didn't have it last week, but you know, look, if it's raining and it's at home and you're against that team, I think you get one game and that's the game we got. And I think if it had been clear skies, I think, I think Russell's historically just been a different player. And I think the Ravens, uh, their vulnerability was, was in the passing game, not, you know, from a defensive standpoint, not as much from the run. So I think you, you could make the case that they really should have won both of those games, um, had things, had things, turned around. I also think that, you know, you've got Pete Carroll, who's historically built teams to improve in the second half of the year. And you do have guys like um, Marquise Blair coming up. You do have Quandre Diggs joining, who I think is probably better than than both McDougald um, and Tedrick were. You have the potential for Quandre Diggs. If McDougald and Blair play really well at safety, Quandre Diggs could end up being your nickelback and replace Jamar Taylor. And now all of a sudden you've upgraded three important positions and maybe you don't have to play base all the time. And maybe, uh, you know, the overall defensive scheme starts to make more sense. I think we're seeing Jadavian Clowney be a real difference maker. He needs some help, but you know, we didn't have Quentin Jefferson suiting up next last week. Don't know if he's going to do it this week, but we've still yet to see, Jadavian Clowney, Quentin Jefferson, Jaron Reed, and Ezekiel Ansa all be healthy for the same game. I don't think that's yet happened this season. So potential for, for that crew to come back. Um, you know, and then I think we've started to see some signs that Trey Flowers is starting to improve. Uh, I think we all would probably agree that they missed him last week. I think Akeem King looks not so great in that game, uh, besides dropping the easy interception. You know, Trey Flowers looked like he started to step forward, and this is going to be a huge game this week to see how Trey Flowers and Shaquille Griffin match up against Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. So, I mean, I, I think those are some of the things that that come up for me as as far as potential areas of optimism. Uh, I, I have to admit, I'm kind of got my fingers crossed for Ethan Posick to be available later in the year. I think he can come back for the final three games of the season. I don't think Joey Hunt is is necessarily the answer, and let's before we go off this and talk about where maybe we see some reasons to be concerned. Let's talk about who we're going to have to go past in, in the conference, right. To get to the Super Bowl, we start with the 49ers. I mean, I think we all believe the 49ers are the best team in the conference, maybe the best team in the NFL. Right. Um, I look at the 49ers and I still say, if you can figure out a way to stop their running game on offense, if you can slow them down running the ball, and you have a situation where you've got Jimmy Garoppolo having to beat Russell Wilson in a, in a game like that. I don't think that's completely unrealistic that the Seahawks can, can win that type of game. I'm kind of curious. 
Is it the 49ers? Is it another team that you guys think, you know, is really the, the Seahawks toughest competition? And how do you think the Seahawks would match up against that, that competition? Let's start, let's start with you, Evan. Yeah. Well, the Seahawks per pro football focus are a top 10 run defense. They're ranked ninth overall. Um, so it, I, I fully agree on the 49ers matchup. If you can, let me backtrack actually a little bit. All these 49er fans are all hyped on Jimmy Garoppolo because the team is seven and oh, eight and oh, whatever the heck they are. I'm not even convinced he's good. I'm really not. He's not been super great this year. Like his reads haven't been super difficult. Kyle Shanahan is making him look like a superstar. It's kind of like what Jared, like it's kind of what Sean McVay did with like Jared Goff last year. I fully agree. If you can stop the run and you make Jimmy Garoppolo really make multiple, you know, progressions through his reads, I'm not sure the 49ers are going to win that game. I, I mean, you just mentioned a little bit earlier that you think the 49ers are the best team in the NFL. Did you say the NFL? Yeah. I completely disagree. I think the Patriots are far better. And um, I think the difference is that quarterback. I really do. So I'm at, I, you know what? I would even go further to say, I think I'm more worried about the Saints than I am the Niners. Well, that's and what I was really curious about. That. I mean, I think there's a, there's a case to be made there. Where are you out on this, Jeff? Um, I think the Seahawks should be worried about a lot of teams right now based on how they're playing defense. And we'll get into that a little later, but yeah, I, I would agree that the way to beat the Niners is simple. Like if you dig deep into Jimmy Garoppolo, it's hard to even find like an advanced metric that shows he's playing well. I saw someone tweet today, like they, they had to look and they had to find one, like he's good at like getting first downs on third down. Like that was it. And really the thing with the Niners is just, they have a very unique run scheme and I got like after the Seahawks game, I got a chance to sit back and really watch them. I haven't got a chance to really watch a lot of their full games this year. And they run, there's a lot similar to what the Rams were doing last year. They just run like the same five or six plays and they just design them and decept, like use a ton of deception, a ton of motion to create these like crazy running angles for their blockers. So they're just a really complicated scheme to run. Like what Mike Shannon used to do the same thing. And that's where Kyle's kind of souped up the scheme. And it's just, I worry about what this front will do against those just motions and how they create unique running lanes and how they use three running backs. Cause yeah, that's the plan to beat them is simple. You got to make Jimmy beat you because he hasn't really had to do that in any game this year. And the way they've been running the ball is just a master of scheme. And like, you've seen what people have done to Seattle's defense and what Kyle Shanahan has done to this defense in the past. And that's what worries me. Yeah, Nathan, you know, another piece here for, for the 49ers, just and then we'll, we'll, we'll switch gears here, is their schedule the rest of the year. Um, you know, they, yes, they got the Seahawks at home for Monday Night Football. Uh, they've got the Packers. They've got at the Ravens. They've got at the Saints. Um, they've got the Rams. And then they've got at Seattle. It's not the easiest path. Um, and, you know, is it possible? I mean, Seattle right now actually controls their own destiny. If they were to sweep the 49ers, as crazy as that sounds right now, Seahawks would have the inside track on the division. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the Niners are, I, I, I mean, I agree that the Niners are the top competition. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think what's, but what Jeff said is right. Like, there should be a lot of teams that worry Seattle. Seven of the top 10 teams, according to Football Outsiders, are NFC teams, five of the top seven, right? Seattle is one of those teams, so that's good, right? But the NFC is kind of really good this year. And so I don't know, 
Like, I, I think that they're probably right now, you know, we get to see them play twice. So I'm sure my opinion might change on this. But if you had to ask me right now, I'd say that they're clear underdogs to the Niners. Um, but like, I don't know how many teams they're even like slight favorites over, right? I mean, there's a lot of pushes in here and a lot of maybes. And so, like I said, like it's about getting in the playoffs. It's about rolling the dice and seeing what happens. Um, the downside to that is that this is a year where you're going to be, you know, you're going to be rolling up against some some good teams. The Niners are just kind of one of those. So I'm of the like I'm of the opinion that Seattle is a very good team, but not a great team, not a Super Bowl, a clear Super Bowl team. And so I, I'm like I said, I'm more along the lines with Jeff, where it's just like there's a lot of teams that they need to worry about getting through. So the last question on this, and then and then we will switch over. Like I think we all agree they're not a Super Bowl team right now. <laughs> so uh, I think Evan, you maybe said you think the one thing. The, the question is really, what's the one thing that you believe? is most important to turn the Seahawks from the team they are now into a team that truly could contend. You talked about maybe it's pass rush. Is that, is that where you're at, Evan? It's without a doubt of the pass rush in my mind. I think if, if the pass rush gets some traction, I think this defense completely turns around. I, I could see this defense being a good defense if the pass rush comes alive. Uh, uh, Jeff, one thing. Uh, most important thing to, to turn this team from a good team to potentially a contending team. Uh, yeah, I agree with Evan. I think that the pass rush can cover up a lot of flaws. And I, I know just with them, they're such an easy team to, to play against right now. If you're an offensive coordinator, you double clowny. They play very basic schemes. They're not very fast on defense. They have a lot of holes in their zone defenses. Their linebackers aren't fast anymore. So the pass rush is the one thing that kind of makes things difficult because Clowney gets double teamed. We saw him more than any other player in the league. So if they're not getting anything from the other side of their line or interior, they're just an easy team to play against. And you've seen Andy Dalton, you've seen Matt Schaub, you've seen these crap quarterbacks just feast on them. And I know Pete's saying like they're ahead of schedule or and that's bullshit. They're playing like shit. So um, again, if the pass rush can get going and you have something that can get going on the other side, because Clowney, is still doing pretty good numbers considering how much attention he's getting. If you can force kind of attention elsewhere and just that can help just all the holes in this defense, but I don't know if it's realistic. I don't know if I see it happening. I just don't know if I see who's going to be that guy right now, but that I think, yeah, I think Evan's right. That's the way to fix a lot of their defensive woes. I'm either way around with it. I'm chicken and egg it a little bit. I think that if this team, like you're saying, there's a lot of holes, right? They're letting bad quarterbacks just shred them up and down the field. And I think that you start to patch up those holes. Like, I, I think, you know, maybe best case scenario is like you were saying, I think, Brian, like if Blair and McDougal can be your starters and can be good, and that means you can play digs at nickel, and then maybe you can get away from this base experiment, which I, I don't think is working very well. And if you can tighten up that coverage, like I agree that the pass rush hasn't been good, but Clowney like gets close a lot and we see them get close. And so if you tighten up the coverage, does close start to turn into sacks, right? And there's an analytics bend to this too, right? If you look at the numbers, the analytics tends to say that your coverage drives your defense. And so, you know, I think between those two things, I think, you know, I, I would rather, I would, if I got to choose, I would pick pass, the, the coverage because I think it would just, I think pass rush would be a byproduct of that. Yeah, I think, I think it's a good one. I, I would go, this, 
My tendency is to definitely try to fix the defense because it is painful, painful watching that defense right now. We're going to talk about that, I'm sure, in a second. But I'll tell you what, if you wanted me to say what's the thing that would make this most likely to be a contender, I still come back to it. I believe that the best single side of the football in the NFL tends to win the championship every year, the one that can't be stopped. And I don't think this defense is going to be that. I think this offense has potential to be that. And for a while, up until a couple of weeks ago, they were like second best, third best offense in the NFL um, by a lot of metrics. Right now, I think they're around third. I, I, I want to see this offense be unstoppable. I want to see this offense scoring over 30 points per game. And that sounds like, oh my God, that's a big number. They scored 27 points or more in every game until the Ravens game, um, you know, after the first week of the season. And they did it again last week, and they should have scored a lot more. So, you know, I really think that we need Russell Wilson to be an MVP. We need him to be getting upwards of high 30s in passing touchdowns this year, if not into the 40s. And I, I think we've got to see that come together. It may require that the, the actual rushing offense doesn't suck which I think it's kind of been pretty bad. And so if they're going to run, getting more efficient at that and, and getting better yardage out of that to combine with the passing would probably be a good thing. Um, but in any event, whatever it needs to be, I have more belief that the offense can become better um, or great than I believe that the defense can go from being bad to being even like upper half of the, the league. So that, that's kind of where my head's at. Let's 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 uh, switch it around here for a second and talk about, you know, where I think a lot of folks are, which is, hey, this team has not beat anybody really badly other than maybe the the Cardinals and they could have lost almost every game they played this year, including against the Falcons. So what makes this team um, potentially, you know, maybe they're not going to make the playoffs. Let's talk about that. What are the, the, the warning signs for you guys about um, what the potential downfall is of this team, the way it is right now. And, and Jeff, I know you've been thinking a lot about this on the defensive side. Why don't you talk about that for a second? Well, I think the biggest thing, and I know we were going to talk about what we got wrong later and that this kind of all fits in together and it, it all kind of clicked to me where I was able to sit back and watch the Seahawks play. And then in the next set of games, you got to watch the Niners and the Patriots. And if you kind of look at all three levels of their defense, and like if you do some team building exercises, you can learn a lot of things about why the Seahawks are actually kind of a poorly built defense in a lot of areas. So we're kind of, we'll start on the defensive line quickly. And you look at the defensive line, they get clowny at the last second. Last year, Frank Clark pretty much carried that whole unit. They didn't really have a second edge rusher. And they sign Ansa. So on paper, Ansa and Clowney looks pretty good. We were all pretty hyped about it. I definitely – a lot of teams do, and fans do this for sure, but even teams do this all the time. Is they, they look at past production, and they think that is going to be future success. And football players fall off a cliff very quickly. It's not like baseball or basketball where there's like a steady decline. People's bodies break down. You see the difference in how McDougal played, for example – um, like look at Lofa Tatupu, who's a Seahawk. You saw what happened with him. His body just wasn't built for the rigors of the NFL. Ziggy Ons is a guy that they got at a discounted rate. They got him after the comp pick date because he had shoulder surgery. 
he was an explosive first step guy, like highly rated on PFF. But realistically, you have to know, like he was a pretty big risk entering the year. So from a roster building standpoint, balancing risk and reward is a huge job of a GM, especially on a team that has new pass rushers, lost their best pass rusher. So a lot of teams do is this exercise called like the Jenga exercise. If you take one player out of the defense, but you like playing that board game Jenga, what happens to the position? And if you look, for example, just using an example of that exercise, like when you took Brandon Browner out of the defense in 2013, what happened? Byron Maxwell came in. Jeremy Lane came in. They were fine. They were built to sustain. If you look at the Niners on Sunday, for example, their good cornerback, Akello Weatherspoon, he hasn't played for a bit, but they have this new cornerback. Forget his name for now for a second. It's, uh, who is it? Emmanuel Mosley. That guy looks like a, like he comes in and the defense operates fine. So for Seattle, you take Ansa out, what happens? You have LJ Collier, Rasheem Green, Brandon Jackson. And for the most part, those are essentially zeros as pass rushers. So this defense, and Nathan mentioned this a lot. I was thinking about it the other day. He mentioned this last year, like how one injury could just tear apart the whole team. And that's just a, he talked about that last year when we weren't sure what the 2018 team would be like. And that's, a, that's actually an exercise that teams do use. And the Seahawks just did not, were not prepared for this. I don't know if it was losing Jacob Martin. I don't know if they expected a regime green to take a bigger step forward. But you had to expect, expect to an extent that there was a possibility that Ansa would bust. Like, I don't think you would expect it to be this level. Like, he's in the Eddie Lacy free agency category right now. And they don't have, they, they've essentially, like, greens look good at times, but they have essentially three zeros playing in that spot. So really that spot was kind of set up as like, if everything didn't go right, they were set up to fail. Defensive tackle is actually a pretty built, well-built group, if you think about it. Jaron Reed was suspended. They signed Al Woods. They, they figured that hole a little bit. Puna Ford's been slowed down by injury. He hasn't played as well as we would have thought. But they had the balance with Quinn and Jefferson. They're built okay. The biggest area like you look at is now the linebackers. And a lot of teams do this, when I said before, they think past production will each future success. And that doesn't happen in football. So you look at the linebackers and we all thought, and rightfully so, so did the Seahawks. We thought this group would be the best linebacking core or one of the best linebacking cores in the league. And what teams tend to do is they want, they want to try to build a team. You want a bunch of guys who play. You want to have a bunch of guys who are either at the near their first contract where they're peaking athletically. And we've talked about that a lot over the years of how you want guys on first contracts. You want hungry guys. You want young guys. When the Seahawks were great, they had a ton of guys on first contract, ton of guys trying to get paid. Last year, you had Clark doing that. He played he had the best season of his career. And this year, on paper, Clark, uh, Wagner, Wright, Kendricks, that looks like a stud group. But in 2019, I'm not sure how good that group is. And I think that was the mistake the Seahawks made, and I think that explains the Cody Barton pick a little more. That was kind of a head-scratcher for a lot of people up front. And they actually balanced their risk a little bit. But the guys who are actually playing every game Kendricks before this week has had a pretty bad season. He's out of position. He's playing a new position. KJ Wright in 2019. I don't know if he's even a good player, even an above average player anymore. He's slow. The whole and Bobby Wagner, it's kind of hard to explain what's going on with him. That's we can probably save that for another segment, but he hasn't been making like you saw him hit that blitz. You saw him break up the two point, but most of the year he hasn't been the splash player. Like last year, he played out of his mind. So if you look at the linebacking core as a whole, those three guys who are close to 30, they're not young and hungry. They're not peaking athletically. That's not a great build group for a team that plays a ton of zone defense. And for the way they run this scheme, 
those three on paper, uh, like we kind of miss this. They look good by names, but as a group, that's not great. Like if you look at the Niners, for example, they have Quan Alexander and they have Fred Warner. Those guys are peaking athletically. They're fast. They run, play hard to the ball. They have a ton of juice. There's just a big difference in watching how open the players are at the second level of their defense. And the secondary is actually starting to come around now that Blair's playing, but one weak link can break apart a whole defense. If you remember the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, Bill Belichick, they had they benched Malcolm Butler and they had a cornerback in there who just wasn't good enough. Their whole defense, they got picked apart by Nick Foles. Like one weak link can blow the whole defense. And Tedrick Thompson, now we'll see with without him. That, that's that's the hole in the secondary. And they they botched the nickel corner position. They went from having one of the best guys in the league. So if you look at all three levels. There's failures in building and failures in coaching and putting these guys in a scheme. They probably can't execute. Sorry. That was my rant. I've been thinking about that for like four days. <laughs> I'm glad you got off your chest. I don't know that there's much that I'd argue with on that. I, I am curious. Um, Evan, you've, you've, uh, you've made a lot of friends on Twitter over the years. Um, and uh, uh, I know that, you feel like this team has kind of beat the happiness out of you. Um, <laughs> so, so what is it? What is it about this team that's giving you the most uh, acid reflux, man? While you're yeah, out? so I, I think it's important to set the context is like, I'm a naturally optimistic guy. I really am. Like I, I'm a half gla- like glass half full type of guy. Like I always believe the best is yet to come. But this... <sighs> There's something about the Seahawks. It's okay. Let me, let me be clear. It's not that they struggle. It's not that the Seahawks struggle. It's that the Seahawks struggle with the same issues consistently, repeatedly. And it makes me want to bang my head against a wall. It's, it's, it's like fixable things. And I could name a million different things from like fourth down decision-making relying too much on Jason Myers, um, not starting Jamarco Jones third down decisions to run it on third and eight. Like there's, there's things I could go off about that are just, they have a long history of doing um, Pete's game management decisions. Like, like I said, it's not that they struggle. Everybody struggles. Every team, every team has flaws. Every coach has flaws, but it feels like we keep talking about the same struggles, the same flaws when I feel like some of these things are fixable. So it's just exhausting and and honestly it's a me problem like i'm way too emotionally invested into the seahawks so this this is a me issue i want to be very clear um it it just feels like we're we talk about the same issues every single week does that make sense yeah yeah i mean i don't know that a lot of those were different when the seahawks were really good and i think what what's kind of maybe this has always been the the case that folks have been making, but I think it's becoming a little clear. And I would say that it's meandered a little bit to get to this point, but I, I think what it really is, is that some of the, the, the flaws and how Pete is as a coach, like some of the game management stuff, um, you know, number of the things I won't go through them all. You listed a bunch. They can be, okay if he's got a solid defense and we've talked about like a great defense i don't even know if he needs a great defense but if he's got a really bad defense 
which I think right now, by almost any measure, this Seahawks defense is really bad. Like one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Bottom is it the worst defense Pete Carroll has ever had with the Seahawks? Five. I think so. Well, 2010 was pretty bad. They're they're 30th in yards per play, which is one of the stats that gamblers love. Yeah. Um, only behind them is Dolphins and Bengals, both winless. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, it's really it's really bad. Um and in that situation, a lot of this other stuff just gets exacerbated, right? It, it, it's accentuated and amplified. So I, I think that's that's part of the issue. I think where I've always gotten hung up before is this notion of Pete's a bad coach. I don't think Pete's a bad coach. I think that <laughs> he is used to having a defense that he can at least have some reliance on. Um, I don't think he needs the 2013 Seahawks defense to be to build a contending team, but mm -hmm. I don't know that he can do it with a defense like this. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, Bill Belichick when he had, you know, as Tom Brady did get to the Super Bowl with a like 32nd ranked defense in, in certain categories and like bottom, like 29, 30, like multiple times they got the Super Bowl with a really poorly ranked defense. I don't know that Pete could do that. Um, I'm not sure. Well, and Brian, just to follow up on that thought yeah. real quick, the issue is I feel like, I feel like Pete Carroll plays like he, like he coaches, he makes game management decisions like he has a top 10 defense, a top five. Well, defense. I think that's a, I think that moves the conversation forward, at least in my mind. And like, maybe I just wasn't hearing it, but like when we talk about how bad of a choice it is to punt from your opponent's, you know, 43 yard line um, totally. on fourth and five. They did yeah. that with the Legion of Boom though. That's right, the like, thing. Like that's not a new issue. That's not the worst decision if you feel like your defense is going to at least limit a little bit of what your opponents are capable yes, of doing. Exactly. I think statistically, in almost any situation, it's considered a bad idea. So I get that. But I'm just saying, yeah, I, I think that's what's going on here a little bit more is, is just the calculus of what he has and what he's working with is, is much more risky right now. Um, I'm sure. And I, is, and yeah. I think it's partly his optimistic nature. Like, I truly believe that. I think Pete is believing, like, every day, like, his defense tomorrow is going to turn a major corner. And that – and I'm not – I don't think that mindset is bad, but I think you also need to be a little bit more realistic about it in-game, I guess. Well, I think you just need to be able to say – what he tends to be actually really good at is recognizing – what players individual strengths are. I mean, he's always mm -hmm. been able to say this player can do this. Well, the rest of the league think, thinks he sucks, but I'm going to put him in a position where he can do something really well. Cam chancellor, um, you know, Brandon Browner, there's guys that may not have been as great in certain systems, but he put some of those guys in positions where they just shine uh, mm -hmm. Byron Maxwell. I mean, you know, people might say cam chancellor is a bad example, but I just think there's a lot of people that's, that passed over him because they just didn't think a guy that was like a linebacker could play safety in the NFL. He's not doing that with his team. Forget the individuals. He's not saying this is where this team is fantastic. I'm going to lean into that. Right. And I'm going to really rely on it and build around it. And I think that's where a lot of folks are frustrated about the passing stuff. Um, and last year, part of my frustration is with those folks is they did have a real strength and it was around running. Um, as well. So I, I, I do think that was a really good rushing team last year. I don't think it was, it's a good rushing team this year. So that's another part of it where 
he usually likes to have a good running team to go with a good defense. And I don't think he has either of them this year. Nathan, I see the faces. I see him. Come on. They're, they're running game was better than I thought it was last year, but their, oh, passing yeah. game, their passing game was still far and away I know. the better part of their offense. I'll take, I'll take the, the minor V for victory on that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So are we were, where are you most pessimistic about this team, Nathan? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's the defense and it's the coaching. Um, again, if you are a good, not great team, if you're a playoff team, not a Super Bowl team, and you're just hoping to roll the dice, you can't make bad – like, the margin isn't there to throw away. Right. And Pete is doing that every single game. Um, Derek on Twitter, I should find his, uh, his, his uh, handle or whatever. He's a great follow. He uh, showed the like cumulative win probability added uh, across the teams by fourth down um, decisions. And almost every team, uh, every team except Seattle is positive, and Seattle is significantly negative. So, uh, you know, maybe this defense, like I said, there's ways that you can see them getting better. And, and you know, Russ is amazing and, and he can create magic that gives you margin that you shouldn't have. But like to Evan's point, we see the same mistakes every week and they're correctable and they're not going to correct them. And, you know, I, I don't think this is going to keep them from making the playoffs, but I think it could cost them a playoff game. A lot like what we saw last year with the Dallas game and how they got that was different. They got stubborn with the game plan, but like it's still the same thing where Pete wants to play Pete coaches like he has a team he does not have. Yeah, you know, it's just jumping in. Here's where I am overall on these things. I think that by nature of what you and Evan and I are just saying, I think Jeff agrees too. If our the fourth down play calls uh you know an overall game strategy calls are the thing that is like a big issue or one of the big issues i think that what what that really tells you is they're just not that good of a team right now <laughs> like they're just not that good like if it, like there's no team that's like man they would have been super bowl contenders if they could have just you know made the right fourth down play calls uh, or game management calls definitely i think we're saying they'd have a better chance to win they'd be in a better position to win and it could be meaningfully different but if you just look at the Seahawks position for position, talent for talent uh, against some of these other teams, I'm having trouble seeing it right now. Like I don't see the Seahawks walking into anyone's stadium and intimidating them. Um, I think that game against the 49ers in a couple weeks, whew, I, I'm bracing for impact guys. Like I got, I got, I got plenty of colleagues down in San Francisco are like, Oh, let's take, let's go to the, the Monday night game. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want to go to that game. Uh, so, I mean, well, so where do you have them? Like, are they top 10 to you? Top 15, 20? I, I haven't thought about it in that regard. I kind of think about it as, do I believe this team could stand up to scrutiny against like a really top you know, a 49ers, a Saints, uh, a Patriots, um, maybe even a Vikings, depending on where that game's played. And I don't know that I feel like they can. I have trust in Russell in any situation to like 
make something interesting happen. But look, I think the 49ers are a powerhouse. I disagree with Evan. I think they're better than the Patriots. I, I do. I think like across the board, other than quarterback, which is a super important position. By the way, Tom Brady's numbers are not great this year, and that offensive line is not great this year for the Patriots. So um I think the yeah. So they might not have to play the Niners in the playoffs, though. They might not. They might not. No. I, yeah. So I guess if if the Seahawks are not going to have a home home playoff game, if they're not going to win the division, which I think is a, a long shot at this point, then I just don't think the Seahawks are going to have much to say in the playoffs. Um, so even though they're undefeated on the road, so that that's kind of I mean I I feel like I w- walked away from the Ravens game with that point of view where it was like you know what. I love the Seahawks. I'm going <laughs> to obsess about the Seahawks. I always will. I don't think they're that good right now. I think they're okay. I, I think they're, I think, I think they will, they very likely could win 10 to 11 games. Um, I think they could also go, you know, nine and seven and miss the playoffs. It wouldn't shock me. And I think that's what makes all the coaching stuff so frustrating because self-evaluating self-scouting is such an important job of a coaching staff and, really to add on to what these guys are saying. I think they need to give Russell more opportunities. I think just watching other quarterbacks and the success play action has, and they don't let them do enough. And I think for this team with the schedule about to pick up and the quality of opponents picking up, giving them like 20 passes a game, that's just not good enough. This team has a clear strength and they just need to play to it. I mean, yeah, like I, I think, I think, that is true. And I think that Brian, you're you're right. Like they're not a clear Super Bowl favorite. But I don't think needing to maximize around the edges means that they're not capable of winning the Super Bowl or capable of winning playoff games. Like they're still a good team. And if you go back over the last few years, you know, last year, uh New England was the seventh best team by DVOA. They beat Kansas City, number one, in DVOA in the AFC Championship game. And then they beat the Rams, number two, in DVOA in the Super Bowl, right? Uh, you go back the year before that, if I can make football outsiders work for me, um, you had Philly with fifth, right? You you go before that in 2016. Um, I think 2016 is the exception here. You had New England and Atlanta. They were one and three. But in 2015, Seattle was number one overall. Right. And, and they didn't even make the NFC championship game. Um, Denver with eighth and they beat the fourth, you know, Carolina with fourth. So, you know, like, yes, they are not the odds on favorite to win a Super Bowl, but they don't have to be right. It's single elimination. It's not a three game series or a seven game series or, you know, a, uh, it's not a tournament of 64 teams. It's like three or four games. That's all. I love optimistic, and, Nathan. It's I'm favorite. just saying, like, I don't even know it's optimistic. I just like, look, <laughs> it's weird. Glass half full, Nathan. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I definitely am not saying, and I, I believed all the things I said at the beginning about why that they are, could be contenders. Like there, there is a percentage chance that that could happen. I think it's a long shot. I think it's a, a big long shot at this point. And, you know, I will say, I think, I'm concerned right now, guys, that the Will Disley injury is way bigger than anyone realizes. I don't think the offense has looked as good the last two weeks since he's been out. And, you know, we'll see Ed Dixon come back, and I think he'll help. But I think Will Disley, like, 
I think in maybe five, 10 years, we'll look back and be like, yeah, he's like Jason Witten. And when you lose a guy like that, it's a really big deal. Like he, he was a great blocker and he was a great receiver. And I, I, I think they're still adjusting to that. You're going to say real something quick. Yeah. yeah. Real quick on Super Bowl aspirations. <laughs> this is a weird question, but do the Seahawks have a better chance of making the Super Bowl via the road versus playing at home? Serious question. It's not out of the – it's not crazy. It depends on where. I mean, Minnesota say, – Say it's all dome. Well, that's a dome now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good question. I think, Russ, think I think Russell Wilson is definitely better off in uh, on turf and, and uh, in a climatized environment. 100% agree he'd make a phenomenal Arizona Cardinal. Come on down, Russell. Don't you do that, man. I'm going to make you start wearing that uh, visor upside down and backwards and bleach those things, man. Um, all right. Hey, we, we only got a few minutes left because I know Evan and Nathan's got a, to jet at, at around nine. So let's talk quickly about this game coming up this weekend. Um, we've got uh, the Seahawks playing against Bruce Arians, Jameis Winston, and the Bucks. Uh, given that you guys – Got to go quickly. Evan, starting with you, how do you feel about this game? What's your expectation for how it ends? Oh, God. I am. Oh, I hate to be pessimistic, but here I am. I'm really worried about this game, and I'll tell you why. The Bucks have a really good run defense, like top three run defense in multiple advanced metrics. Top what? The top one. Oh, the top one. Even better. Can't wait. They have the best run defense in the NFL. Um, if the Seahawks have a game plan that is focused on establishing the run, I'm a little bit worried that that's not going to work out. They have a very bad passing defense. It would be wise to let Russell Wilson throw the football a lot this game. I think just naturally looking at the Seahawks strengths, um, they're not a good run blocking unit. They're like uh, end of the top 20. So I think that matchup is concerning there. Um, I think when it comes to our secondary in our pass rush, I think our secondary is capable of holding up against Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, but, and, and people are worried. And people are saying like, Oh, we're just going to throw interceptions, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Winston is not afraid to throw the deep ball and he takes risks. And if our pass rush cannot get to him, Winston is going to have a day. If, Did we just if hear Ma- Mike Evans slander on the podcast? What was that? Can we go? Can we rewind on that? Did I slander it? You think that the Seahawks secondary that it's like this is like the twenty fourth ranked defense, and you're like, ah, I'm not worried about Mike Evans. I, I, she killed uh, yeah. kill Griffin. No problem. She killed Griffin. No problem. <laughs> what? Uh, uh, I, this is that thing that we do where a player has a nice year and suddenly he's Richard Sherman. Like, remember the time okay. that Justin Britt was a Pro Bowl alternate and, and everyone's like, he's the best center in the league. And now they're like, he's fucking up. You, we'll get you, did not, you did not just compare Shaquille Griffin's career trajectory to Justin Britt, did you? I mean, career, career tra- trajectory, no. But like... Uh, Mike Shaquille Evans? Griffin is good. Justin Britt is not. End of story. I, I, I really... I mean... I gotta go this, dig up this, some old Justin. You delete all your t- old tweets, so I can't do it. But you had some Justin <laughs> Britt takes. <laughs> yeah. Britt takes. <laughs> um, yes, I did. They were bad. But 
I, but to answer your question, Brian, I think it's about our pass rush getting to Winston and um, having a game plan that lets Russell Wilson throw the ball. So who wins this game? Seahawks by three. Oh, you wuss. All right, uh, Nathan. Uh, yeah, I'm terrified about this game too. I think we're, I don't know if there's a good reason for us all to be scarred by the, the Bucks, but I think we all are for some reason. Um, I mean, what was the, what was it like three years ago when Britt was hurt and they scored like five points or something like that, right? Uh, so that's a fun comparison to make. Uh, but I'll, 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 uh, I'll go with like a 17 14 Seahawks win. I don't know. <laughs> that is one of the, the most tepid takes uh, <laughs> of all time. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think uh, as, as uh, we, we uh, bid adieu to Evan and Nathan, I will just say, you know, look, I think, I think they hit it on the fact that James Winston is a guy that is just as likely to throw five touchdowns as he is to throw five picks, and he might do it in the same game and fumble twice. I think I wrote it today that, like, he's a guy that will fumble, he will throw interceptions, he will fumble and then throw an interception on the same play. Like he is, he's an idiot. Like he makes some really, really dumb decisions. And then he's like fearless. He will just keep throwing. He has no conscience about it. And he'll just all of a sudden pile up a ton of yards. And the Seahawks have a terrible defense and a terrible secondary so far this year. So I think the Bucks have a lot of reason to score a lot. Um, Bruce Arians has a, a lot of confidence about how to play against Pete Carroll, especially in Seattle. Um, and I think, if the Seahawks do what they normally do and try to stick with the run, I think the Seahawks are in trouble in this game. Uh, I really do. If the Seahawks lean on Russell Wilson, I think they win. So um, it's it's going to be interesting to see if the coaching staff can really lean into what their strengths are. I'm curious, Jeff, uh, where you're at on this game. Yeah, you guys covered most of my points. And I wrote a message to you guys in the group thread like two, three weeks ago. Out of the blue, you guys were probably confused at the time. I just wrote that this Bucks game scared me. And it's the exact reasons you guys covered. I, I've been watching them all year. I, I own one of their players in fantasy, so I just – usually when the early set's on, I've, I've been watching them a little more than I probably should. And, yeah, their strengths are very clear. And it just it, – it reminds me of that Dallas game last year where everything was on the table. It was a very obvious game plan. We had Warren Sharp on. Didn't take much – to figure out and they still did the same thing and the bucks are really good against the run they have sue and vita Vey in the middle we have joey hunt it's it's just as much of a mismatch as you can get so if they don't try to air it out and try to i would have liked to see someone ask Pete today how do you stay balanced when there's clearly a, one obvious flaw in another team's opponent if you talk to shoddy tomorrow if anyone's listening please ask him that but i think if they play the game smart and try to attack them through the air. I think they'll win. And I think if they be stubborn and try to establish the run and run on third and three and run on third and six in a game winning situation, I think they're going to lose. And if they, I have no harm in saying that. I think if James Winston is the kind of guy he throws into double and triple coverage. So if the Seahawks aren't sticky with their coverages. He could have a big day. Yeah, I'm really going to be interested in watching Marquise Blair in this game. Uh, Marquise Blair and Bradley McDougal, uh, like, oh. Those two, and I would throw in Trey Flowers. I, I'm really mm -hmm. interested to see how those guys play in this game. They're definitely going to get opportunities. And part of me just feels like McDougald and Blair, 
it can be a significant upgrade over what we've seen at, at the safety position. And Blair played pretty damn well in this last game. I know that there's probably some coverage breakdowns and Pete is still being very measured in his comments even today about Marquise Blair and, and making sure to point out every time that he's got a lot to learn and he's you know not assignment correct and all those kinds of things. But he made some great tackles that I've never seen Tedrick make. I mean, closing mm -hmm. down guys, it, you know, really showing his speed that Tedrick did not have, um, you know, turning what could have been 10 or 15 yard plays into three yard plays that, that tackle on, I think the screen play, I, I think you remember was a great tackle. Um, the tackle toward the end of the game where he, he brought, kept the guy down inbounds. I mean, those are difference making plays. He forced a fumble that I think we all believe maybe wasn't a fumble, but still, I mean, <laughs> You've got a guy that can maybe make some impact now. And if Bradley McDougal can just be, you know, he doesn't have to be who he was last year, but if he can be a, like just a, an average starting safety, I'm interested in how that looks. And, and uh, you know, I don't think we're going to get Sequandre Diggs yet this week. Um, I think we're going to have to wait till the 49ers game, but you know, uh, I am really curious. This is going to be a game where we're going to learn a lot about whether the secondary has upside this year. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic call out. And I'm I was thinking about Blair pretty much the whole show and I haven't really I probably spoke too much on the other issue, but I agree with you. I thought Blair was probably the most optimistic part of that game on Sunday because this defense and I talked about the personnel issues earlier. They don't have a lot of juice. And what I mean by juice is just guys who just are disruptors, they bring energy to the defense. If you watch the Seahawks play other than Clowney and Wagner hasn't played like that, and Griffin at times, they don't have guys who can just fire up a sideline. The way Griffin hit, I mean, the way Blair hits, it's just, you saw three, that hit he had on Calvin Ridley. I don't know how he stayed in that game, but that was a clean shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder hit. That was great defense. And having it like that can change the entire unit. You saw what Cam did, where teams were scared to throw over the middle, and I don't. he's not going to be Cam, obviously, but that changes a lot. Going from Tedra Thompson to him, and you, Pete is being a little reserved in his praise. Maybe that's something internally, but if you listen to Brock talk or you listen to Jim Nagy on Twitter, these guys are great football evaluators and their takeaways were the same thing. Blair is a game changer for them and they really haven't had any on defense other than Clowney and probably Griffin this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that. And I mean, I just hope, look, Jeff, there's nothing I like less than having a Seahawks team that has a bad defense. I mean, oh, it sucks. I love winning and all that's good, but it took the life out of me Sunday just watching them crap the bed, um, you know, defensively and give up over 500 yards uh, to, to that Falcons team with Matt Schaub out there throwing with plenty of time. So I really hope we can see the Seahawks defense find a little bit of footing. I don't need them to be great, but whew. If I could pick one realistic thing, it would be just get good at stopping the run. Yeah. Just like at least make teams one dimensional and get into situations where you have some third and longs to potentially take advantage of. But right now, I think the Seahawks are not good at stopping the run. They're not good at stopping the pass. They're not good at rushing the passer and they're not that great at coverage. So, yeah, that's kind of what I was saying before. Got to start somewhere pick something to be great at and, you know, let the other things come along. I think run defense to me with Puna Ford, with Al Woods, with Jaron Reed, <clears throat> with Jadavian Clowney, with Bobby Wagner, 
I think they've got what they need, even at the level that those guys are playing right now, to be a very good run defense. Mm-hmm. Start there. Start there. And then, you know, build out from that. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I want to thank everybody uh, for joining, as always. Uh, been a great week check, catching up. Um, thank you to uh, Russian Bot again for your contribution in chat. Always appreciate you, dude. You're, you take care of us, and we try to take care of you. Um, if you haven't already, you know, we, uh, every year we donate to Ben's fund, um, and we've donated over $120,000, um, over the course of time to Ben's fund. Uh, we want to, uh, we, our goal is to donate $20,000 at least every year. And, you know, we really depend on all of you to help that happen. So if you haven't already, please sign up over at patreon.com slash Hawk blogger and, uh, get signed up there. Uh, all different ways you can join. You can be a sponsor. If you know someone that should be a sponsor and wants to get added to the show as a, as a, a sponsor, we'd be happy to talk about them. We've got some great sponsors already. Um, if you haven't been to Burger Master lately, please go have a burger, have a shake, tell us about it. Uh, give us a shout and give Burger Master a shout on Twitter. Um, you know, John Hurlbutt and the folks at Altitude Homes um, can help you with a bunch of stuff on the real estate side. Uh, and then obviously Blake over at manifest fit, a uh, great personal trainer. He's been working with my wife, Rachel online can do wherever you are, uh, whatever the weather's like can help, uh, tailor a specific fitness routine for you. And dude, I am eating right now in all sorts of bad ways. So I probably really need to get my fitness game going. I'm sure other people are in the same. So please, uh, you know, support our sponsors, become a sponsor. I'm okay if you become a sponsor, sign up for sponsorship, and you just want us to record a spot where we make fun of Evan. That's totally fine. We can do that. We can do all sorts of things. If you want to talk about how the run game's great or how you don't like Pete Carroll, we can do all sorts of fun things. So please join up at patreon.com. Otherwise, give us a like, um, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Spotify or Apple iTunes, uh, Google Play. Um, or just leave a nice comment, leave a nice review, give a five-star review, please. We, we need five-star reviews. If you have less than five stars, let us know before you go and we'll, we'll hopefully change that around. But otherwise, just thanks all you for, uh, for being uh, fans of the show and sticking around. It's always great um, to have you there. And uh, for now, uh, we'll leave it at that and just say uh, go Hawks. Have a great weekend.